Hey, it's Kevin here. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us online today to listen to our content. You've joined us in a series called God Never Said That. And what we're looking at, we're looking at things that we usually say that God says, but you can't find in the Bible. This series will be intriguing, funny, and also challenging. Also, if you've not uh, downloaded our app yet, download our app. And you can also find us online at thrivechurch.me. Or you can listen to our podcast by way of iTunes, Apple Store, or Google Play. Now on to today's message. All right, it's good to have you guys with us today. Um, if you're wondering how to get one of these cool shirts at Thrive, you said, I like that shirt, I want one like this, um, we can tell you more about that. Today is our monthly Connect gathering, the first weekend of every month. We host an experience in our cafe after church. We have childcare provided. We also have snacks for you. There is no excuse uh, there. There is nice weather out there, but that nice weather will be there for you when you get done with the Connect. If you've never been to the Connect gathering, if you've never connected beyond a Sunday experience, if you want to find out about more how to connect and get one of these cool shirts, um, see us at the Connect gathering today after this experience. Well, if you just joined us, we are in week three of a series called God Never Said That. Recently, my son, who's four years old, wanted to play with this football. And I told him, I said, son, we can't play with this football. He said, why can't we go outside and throw the football together? I said, well, you have a football, but you can't play with this football. And I'll show you why. This football right here is a Dan Marino signed football. There is only 1,313 of them, because his number was 13, that are out there. This was given to me as a gift on my birthday. And if you all Patriots fans in here, that was the, if you remember, that was the years when you didn't wear Patriots gear or buy Patriots gear when you had that old logo because Dan Marino dominated you during that time. That's right, Patriots fans. But my son wanted to, to play with this football, and I said, son, we can't do that. That football's a special football. And so now he understands. He says, that's Mandarino's football. He doesn't understand Dan Marino or who Dan Marino is, but he calls him that. And he understands that we're not going to play with that football. So when he sees it, he backs off now and stops pressing me to play with this special football. Well, today, I will show you how you have a lot in common with this football if you're a follower of Jesus. That you have much more in common than you would realize that you have. Each week, we've been looking at different myths. We've been debunking myths that, that we kind of believe and we even say in culture. We kind of put words in God's mouth. Remember, week one was, well, God wants me happy. And we deconstructed that. Week two, if you were here last week, God will never give you more than you can handle. And we debunked that myth. We deconstructed it. If you weren't here, listen online. And today, there's a myth I want to debunk. And it literally is this. It doesn't really matter how I live. God's not concerned with that. And I want to show you today why God is concerned with that and how much impact it has in the world when, when we don't buy into that myth. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And this is the calling of the disciples. And realize who's writing this. Matthew gives a real detailed account of the calling of the disciples. He was one of those that were called. Matthew was a tax collector in first century Rome. Right? Israel, Rome. Rome ruled Israel. They ruled the Jews. They were slaves pretty much to Rome. Rome did whatever they wanted to to them. And so Matthew was a Jew. You would think that he wouldn't side with Rome, right? You would think he wouldn't, you know, be wearing the Roman gear. <laughs> well, he actually worked for Rome. And here's what Matthew did, and this is important. 
He was a tax collector. And not like we get now these little cards, you know, Chesterfield County or Richmond City or Henrico. It says, hey, look, you have taxes. What he did was he cheated the Jewish people out of money to fund Rome. That was his job. He was a liar, extortioner, cheater. And when people saw Matthew, especially his Jewish friends, there was, there was side eye. You know? When he would go to synagogue on Saturday with his Jewish buddies, and there would be side eye. And maybe at some point, Matthew, being a Jew, maybe probably thought, hey, look, God understands me being a tax collector. You know, I've got to make money somehow. I mean, I, I've got to live and make a, make a living. I've got, he, Matthew probably had bought into that lie, attending synagogue, thinking everything's fine. Until one day, Jesus called him. Jesus called him to be one of his disciples. And Matthew had to make a decision with his life. See, many times what we think is, is that God's looking down on our life going, you do you, boo. It's all right. Be true to yourself. Like we have these sayings we say about each other. We think God kind of, you know, you know, gives to us. And Matthew probably thought, hey, you do you, boo. You do you, do you Jewish boo. Like, you know, you, you, you do it. But when Jesus called him, though, there was no more of that. Matthew had to make a decision. Matter of fact, all the disciples had to make some really hard decisions about following Jesus. And if you look at Matthew chapter 4, he records uh, some of the people who begin to follow Jesus firsthand. Verse 18 says this, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they had fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Remember, nobody knew who Jesus was at this point. Maybe some word got out that, you know, John the Baptist baptized him because he was this crazy guy in the wilderness preaching crazy stuff. And Jesus got baptized, and maybe they had heard some things about him, but he was just a young rabbi. Not really known, but he says, I'll make you fish for people. That's probably intriguing, like, this is weird. This is weird enough. I've got to go see what's going on. And they leave their profession to go follow Jesus. So a little farther up uh, the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Read that one more time. They immediately followed him. And watch this. Leaving the boat. And watch this. Their father behind. See, the disciples had to make some hard decisions when they were called. Jesus said, come follow me. And in order to follow Jesus, they had to leave things. Jesus took them and set them apart as his 12. But you could probably name most of them, right? You could at least get five of them if your life was on the line. We know these guys. He set them apart. Just like my Dan Marino football is not like the other footballs we have at home. It's special. It's set apart. He, he did the same thing for them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, don't you know something? He's done the same thing for you when he called you. But here's the lie that we buy into. We buy into this. You can follow Jesus and not leave anything. You can follow Jesus and, and just still do you. You can still do everything you've always done and still have Jesus too. We had this saying, I'll say it, that God loves you just the way that you are, but he'll never leave you the way that you are. And so there's this idea that we can follow Jesus without ever leaving anything. Matthew, Matthew followed Jesus, but listen, here's the deal. He had to leave being a tax collector. He couldn't continue to extort and cheat and steal and then fully follow Jesus. 
And what we've done is, in our cultures, we've said, hey, look, you can do whatever you want to and still follow Jesus. It's all good. And I want to talk about that today because what happens is crucial to our lives, and it's crucial to those around us if we bind to that lie. Because you'll realize if you bind to that lie and you're a follower of Jesus, you'll start viewing your life as ordinary. And friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are just like this Dan Marino football, just kidding, to make sure you're awake up there. You're just like this Dan Marino football. You're set apart. You're special. And that word set apart there literally is the word holy. And I want to talk about this word holy or holiness, which is scary. But here's the myth we buy into about the scary word called holiness. And the myth is this. Holiness is an outdated term. How I live my life is my concern. Right? God's not concerned with my lifestyle. God's not concerned with what I do. And that thing, holiness, that was like for 1950s Christians who were weird, right? That's the myth we buy into. If you hear the word holiness, you may have an adverse reaction like I had to it. Because when I grew up, I had a set of grandparents. God rest their souls. They were holiness. Here's what that meant for me. And here's why I misunderstood Christianity. I thought Christianity was a list of rules. I think if you didn't do enough stuff, you could be a Christian. And it all was fun stuff, right? So pretty much their motto was, and this holiness idea was, if it makes you grin, it just may be sin. And I'm being honest. So, like, one set of grandparents I went to, she was Methodist, a little more liberal. So, here's what we did. We watched Cheers. We played Scrabble. She bought Transformers toys for me and G.I. Joe and He-Man and Thundercats. I got to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings. When I stayed with my other grandparents, there was, I could not bring any toys to their house. My grandfather said, I will not have that witchcraft in my house. He manages witchcraft. You know, by the power of gray school, right? Some of you know that. So, so he wouldn't allow that. Smurfs. You couldn't even watch the Smurfs because it was witchcraft. And you were not allowed. So here's what we watched. We watched National Geographic. And somehow in his theology, watching Westerns was okay, right? You know, these cowboys killing Indians, Indians, it was fine, but I couldn't watch He-Man. And so I grew up in this environment where I was repulsed from Christianity. We read Sunday school literature at night. I'm like, where are the cool books my other grandma has, right? Like, where are those little golden books? Those are so cool. Where's Dr. Seuss? He's like, no, that's witchcraft. Animals don't talk. And so at any rate, my experience with this idea of holiness was something that turned me off from Christianity. I wanted to know part of it. I didn't understand the beauty of what being holy meant. And what I want to do today is help you understand that, that it is something that God calls us as believers to. That the myth is, oh, that's outdated, man. That's something grandma and grandpa did. They had to, you know, had to wear sleeves, no, no earrings, no makeup. But that's not something for me today. But that's a lie that our enemy wants us to buy into. And here's the fact. Here's what we have to embrace. If you have your notes, write this down, because this, this is the truth we have to embrace, especially if you're a follower of Jesus today. And God cares how we live. Holiness is a command for every believer. God does care how we live. And if you're a follower of Jesus, holiness is a command. And you're like, whoa, what did I just step into? I started liking this church. Now you're talking about holiness? This is weird. I want to I break this down for you. And I want us to deconstruct what's hurt us and construct a mindset of what holiness really is. Because that word holy, what it means is to be set apart. To be set apart from every other normal, ordinary thing. That's what the word holy means. 
Matter of fact, in the first century, whenever these guys were writing the Bible, they didn't have Christian words. Christianity did not exist before the first century. Ding, ding, ding. So what they did was they took Roman or Greek words and they applied them to Christians. And this word hagios means to be set apart. And here's what that meant in, in the Roman Empire. It meant that if you had something special in your house, like some good friends are coming over and you bring out the really nice silverware, the really nice dishes, at my house, they're called paper plates. <laughs> but they had these dishes that were set apart that you did not use for everyday use. These were for very special occasions. That word holy applied to that, meaning it was set apart for something very special. See, when God thinks of you, when God talks about you, that's how he views you. He views you as holy. And what I want to do is help us to understand this idea of holiness. And so if you have your notes handy, write down the big idea. Here's what holiness is. Holiness simply means that we are set apart to glorify God. <coughs> Excuse me. Wake you up. Holiness simply means that we are set apart to glorify God. That we are that football, we are that thing that God has set apart to give him glory and to give him honor. And if you're a believer today, if you're a follower of Jesus today, that's what God has done for you. He has set you apart to glorify him, to make his name holy so people will see him in your life. That's what God's called you to do. See, there's two ways this plays out. Number one, number one, realize this. If you are a follower of Jesus, God sees you as holy. If I walked up to you on the street and said, hey, Kelly, are you holy? You'd be like, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. I mean, I follow Jesus and like, you know, but that's a little, going a little too far there. I wouldn't consider myself holy. But do you understand when God sees you, you know what God calls you? Holy. He calls you saints. And why is that? How can God call you that? See, positionally, when you gave your life to Christ, you have something called imputed righteousness. It means God gave you his righteousness. That means God see, when God sees you, he sees Jesus. In God's eyes, we're holy. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, he says to, to you guys that are holy, that are special, that are set apart. See, some, some of you didn't know that. You think holiness is what you do only. But if you don't understand that you're already holy, you will never live out the idea that God has set you apart and you're special. So first of all, yeah, you're holy. Congratulations. You learned something. You are a saint in God's eyes. It's not set apart for somebody you know, who, in a, in a, that a church says, now these are special saints. You are the saints. You are holy. But what I want to talk about is this. It's not that you're positionally that way. If I ask you you're holy, you should say yes. But it's our experience as well, what we're living out. Because the idea is this, is that we live out what we already are. That we've been given the name of Christ in our life. See, my dad would always tell me when I got ready to quit or I complained or I whined or I was, you know, being a baby, my dad would say this, remember that you're a Bordeaux. That's not what Bordeaux's do. See, my dad said, you've been given a name, but you've got to live that name out. And what holiness is, you've been given the name of Christ has been identified with you. And what our Heavenly Father is saying is saying, hey, you've been given that name, Christian. You've been given that name, follower of Christ. Now live that out. And it means this, that you are set apart, you are special, and you are unique to glorify God. And if you believe that, it will change your life. That's what holiness means.
Matter of fact, Peter, who, was, who followed Jesus and was one of the ones called, he wrote this about the idea of being holy. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But now you must be holy in everything you do. In everything, you must be set apart in all that you do. Remember that word holy, set apart? That word may scare you. He says this, just as God chose you, just, excuse me, just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy in everything you do. See, God has already created you to be holy. Now live that out. The problem is in our culture, though, we're in a war, and the enemy of our souls wants to take away something from us as believers. And here's what it is. The enemy of our souls wants us to believe that we're not special, unique, and set apart. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you are. And, and, and the enemy of our souls wants to buy into the lie that, you know what, you're not unique, special, and set apart. You're like everybody else. You're not holy. And therefore, you won't live it out because if you don't live it out, the world will never see Christ in you. And here's what we have to do because many times, if, if you're like me, you're going to gravitate to kind of go toward teaching that will teach you what you want to hear, not what you need to know. Let's say that again. You gravitate toward that. And in the first century, Paul wrote to a guy named Timothy. Here's what he says to Timothy. This is key about understanding the whole idea of holiness because many of us don't want that. Um, we, we, our flesh fights against it. And he says this. He says, for a time is coming. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And my fear is, with all the stuff and all the options we have to learn and listen from, that we don't want to grow as disciples. We want to find a convenient Christ to follow where we don't have to leave anything to follow him. We don't have to leave our nets. We don't have to leave, quote, unquote, our father. We don't have to leave the, the, the tax collector profession. If you're a tax collector, we love you. I'm not really saying that literally. I meant like, you know, Matthew. But we never have to leave anything to follow Christ. And when that happens, when we buy into that lie, we're going to miss out on being special and unique. And I'm going to show you what the world is going to miss out on too. Because there's other people in the line with this if we don't realize this. So here's what we have to do. Daily. Here's what I do daily, and this is action here, right? Because this whole holy thing, well, how do you be holy? Here's what you do. And write this down. Here's our next step today. We must wholly, wholly yield to Christ so the world may see that he is holy. Did you get that? A little pun there, W and H. We must wholly yield to Christ. Why? So the world can see that he's holy. You know yield, the yield sign? Do you guys ever pay attention to that? No, you're Richmond drivers. You don't. Um, I need to be somewhere. But, but yield literally means that you pause so the other person can go. They can have their preference. They're in their lane, and then you, you follow suit. What this means as a follower of Jesus is this. You yield to God. You yield and say, okay, no, no, God, I'm following you. You're not following me. I'm not following you. I'm following you. And every day we have to surrender more and more of our life to Christ. Why do we do that? So the world can see that he is holy. I want to explain that to you. This is key. So the world can see that Christ is set apart, that he is, there's no other God like him. 
that he is the only way to heaven, that he is the one that gives life, that he is the one that gives hope. And if we buy into the lie, it doesn't matter how I live, they're not going to see that. So as we wholly surrender to Christ, W-H-O-L-L-Y, the world can see that he is holy. Matter of fact, my friend Brett, who's a pastor, he said this. He said in his conversion experience, he, he, he remembers very vividly one instance where his life was transformed. He asked a girl out on a date. And the girl looked at him and said, I can't date you because you're not a follower of Jesus. And I'm not going to lower my standard for you because I want to find somebody who follows and loves Jesus. Booyah. He said he had never seen Christianity mean anything to anybody. He had never seen faith in action. He had never seen that. He said when that girl told him that, he said it, he looked in her eyes and realized what she believed was real, even though he didn't believe it. He's like, I don't believe it, but it's real. Because she just told me she's not, she'd rather be lonely than disobey God. He said that changed his life. He went and gave his life to Christ. Not so he could date her. He never dated her. So like, it's not that they, yeah, I'll come to church with you. And then, you know, you're mad five years later because he came to church because he liked you, not because he liked Jesus. So he realized at that point that she had a standard, that she realized she was set apart. And he saw that the God that he did not believe in was actually real. That it was, God was, wow. It meant something to her. Let me just say this to you. If your faith means nothing to you, it's not going to mean anything to them. I'll say that one more time. If your faith doesn't mean a lot to you, it's not going to mean a lot to them. But when your faith means something to you, where you begin to say, yeah, I, I'm not going to run and do things like that anymore. I can't, I can't really do that because I love God and I just I gave my life to Christ. I want to honor him. The world's going to look at you as weird. The world's going to look at you as strange. But they're going to look at, though, and they're going to see there's something different about you that they won't. I can tell you this about my grandparents who were holiness. Yeah, it drove me crazy what they did. I'm going to tell you something. I knew that my grandmama knew God. I didn't believe in God, but if there's a God, this woman knows him, right? Because her whole life was surrendered to him. And when you wholly surrender your life, every part of it to Christ, the world begins to see that in you. The world begins to see that Christ is real. Matter of fact, the Lord's Prayer, like most of you know this or you've heard this, our Father who art in heaven, help me out church, hallowed be thy name. Now, now when I took Greek in seminary, we had to break that down. And it blew me away what that really meant because I never knew what hallowed be thy name really meant, right? You know, you say things, you're like, sounds real spiritual. But in the Greek, here's what this really meant. Let your name be holy. Let your name be hallowed, set apart, hagias. Let your name be set apart. And the word let there wasn't this passive term. It was active, meaning, meaning this a little deeper. Let's make your name holy in the earth. Our heavenly Father, let's make your name set apart among the earth. Meaning that the disciples knew the first priority was to make God's name holy in the earth, set apart that the world would know who he is. And that's how Jesus taught them to pray. And listen, church, I want you to realize your first priority is that. Because there's people looking at our lives saying, you know what, I want to believe it. Make it real for me. Show me it's real in your life. Because I say this all the time, I'll say it again, you may be the only gospel they ever read. And they don't need perfection. 
They just need somebody who is surrendering to Jesus the, at the best of their ability every chance they get, and that's going to speak volumes. You know, my conversion experience was because somebody made Christianity real. You know, uh, the Christians I was surrounded by were people who would always, I'd always known as being Christians. My grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, and they kind of all went to church, right? But I'd never met anybody that actually lived it. I tell you the story all the time about this guy named Eric. He's a good friend of mine. I watched Eric transform his life by giving his life to Christ. And when he came back from that youth camp he went to, and he, he left everything, I said, man, something's got to be real about this. Why? Because he left and followed. He left and followed. And I begin to say and investigate Christianity. I begin to investigate a God that I didn't believe in and a Jesus that I didn't believe in because somebody set his name apart in the earth. Because he knew he was set apart, he lived set apart, and because he did that, I said, you know what? This Jesus must be set apart. All gods aren't one. Aliens didn't create the universe as I thought. <laughs> I was crazy. There's something to this Jesus. And you and I have the same opportunity every day as you set yourself apart, as you live this idea of being holy, fully surrendered to Jesus. People will look at your life and begin to investigate and say, that's so weird. It will change everything that you do. And people are going to think that you're weird. They're going to think it's weird that you don't go do the things that they do. Why don't you drink as much as us? Why don't you go smoke that? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Because I love Jesus. Not because the Bible tells me not to. If, that, if that's your main reason not doing something, that's a bad reason. That's the second reason. The first reason is I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God does put imperatives in the Scriptures in the New Testament telling me not to do things, right? But I love them so much I'm not going to do it. And the world says that is weird, but I've got to understand more about that. So how do we do this? How do you surrender to God? Because that sounds good, right? Like, yeah, I'm all in, Kevin. I want the world to see that he's holy. How do you do it? There's three thoughts here I want you to write down. And there's three ways, and this is my life. This is what I do. I'm literally giving you what I do. So if you send me an email and say, well, how do you do this? This is three ways I do it. The first one is this, we must allow our personal world to be in alignment with God's Word. Our personal world must be in alignment with God's Word. Meaning, I don't know where your world is at and what you do and where you live in, but every time you break open the Scriptures, the New Testament, now don't, don't, don't go to Leviticus because you're going to get really frustrated and leave. Like, you know, if you start beginning the Bible, you're in trouble. Start, start in Matthew, read through the New Testament. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to crossroads every time you read Scripture over. I do every time over and over. And you're going to get to things where God says, get rid, stop, put off, don't do this. And you're going to be like, man, ugh, I kind of do that a lot. <laughs> and when you get to that crossroads, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to align your personal world to God's Word? Because God will never align His Word to your personal world. You will say, you know what, God? I want to be in alignment with you. Because when you're in alignment with God's Word and you start aligning your life with that, you will see God's favor and blessing in your life. And it's just cracking open that Bible. And it's asking the Holy Spirit to help you as you read it. And He'll show you those areas you're not aligned. And it's not to hurt you. It's not to restrict you, church. It's to help you to experience all God has for you. And you have to dig into God's Word. If this is the only Word that you get every week, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. 
take the YouVersion app, break it open. Just read at least that one scripture. And always ask as you read scripture, what must I do personally, God, with this in my life? That's why every time we preach, it's always what you must do with this, right? Every time I crack open scripture, what must I do with this? Align your personal world with God's word. Here's the second thing we have to do. Get rid of the things that pollute you. There's things that pollute your spirit and pollute your soul. And the reason you know this is because your behaviors. The way you behave means that you've been putting things in there to make you behave that way. Right? Think about your laptop. If somebody says, man, I don't like this laptop. It's slow. It's sluggish. This laptop is no good. Can I ask you a question? What has that laptop done to do that? Nothing. You are the commander of that laptop. Or if you use a desktop still, God bless your soul, but um, of that desktop. And you're like, why is it so slow? That laptop didn't wake up in the middle of the night and download stuff. Your phone didn't download all those apps to slow it down, right? You did that. And anytime you find a desktop, a laptop, any type of personal computer that's sluggish and slow, it's because things have been put into it, good or bad. A lot of things that have slowed it down. And here's the principle that, that, that I teach. It's called garbage in, garbage out, gigo. You put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And many of us are trying to modify our behavior, change behaviors, but we're not changing what we input. Get rid of the things that pollute you. Get rid of the things that are feeding those behaviors. If I find a, an angry male, I guarantee if you show me the playlist, I can tell you why he's angry. If I find someone involved in the drug world, you show me their playlist, and it's feeding their soul. You know how I know that? I used to listen to Wu-Tang Clan back in the day. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar, bill, y'all. No, you don't know nothing about that. I just schooled y'all in church. But, but seriously, I, I fed that stuff into me, and that's what I lived out when I was in high school. I fed in anti-God music, literally anti-God music, and I lived that out. I fed in angry music, and that's what I lived out. So the first thing I had to do when I gave my life to Christ was get rid of those things that pollute my soul because I'm living that out. Man, I, you know, I, I, I was telling my wife one time, and there's nobody at this church that's ever attended this church, but they were on, on, on social media that they kept sharing about going to see Fifty Shades of Grey. And I told my wife, I said, Gigo, I said, within a year, that person will be divorced, I guarantee, because of an affair. Guarantee it. And she laughed at me. I said, you watch. I wish I'd have bet money. I'm not a betting man. I wish I'd have bet money. Within a year, that's what happened. Why? Garbage in. You're feeding garbage in and garbage comes out. So if you're, if you're really wondering why you can't live that set-apart life, what are you putting into your life spiritually? What are you putting into your soul? Now, I'm not saying watch National Geographic and read Sunday school literature at night. <laughs> but you have to take a personal evaluation of your life and say, where's garbage coming out at? Where's this language coming from? Change what you put in. Get rid of the things that pollute your soul. And here's the third and final thing we have to do. We have to do. And you got to ask God to fill you with His Spirit daily. Ask you to fill you with His Spirit daily. You can't live the Christian life by just being good enough and smart enough and trying harder. That's not Christianity. Sign up for another religion if you want to do it yourself. God literally wants to empower us by His Holy Spirit. And when you got saved, guess what God gave you? The moment you prayed that prayer and repented and turned to Him, He gave you His Holy Spirit. 
God lives inside of you. How awesome is that? And we act like that we don't have it. We don't have the help. And so what you do is the more you surrender and you yield, the more you ask to be filled. The more you get rid of the things that pollute you, the more God can just fill you up with the mind of the Holy Spirit, with everything that you face. You know, Paul said this in Ephesians. He said to the church at Ephesus, he said, don't be drunk with wine. Stop drinking too much wine, man. Like, you know. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. And he gives them this analogy of alcohol and wine and or you know, alcoholic wine and the Spirit. Now, I want, you, I want you to think about this. He said, you need to be under the influence of something else. When you're under the influence of alcohol, which I hope you guys don't, you know, aren't at this point anymore, but if you get under the influence of somebody you know has, there's something called drunk texting or drunk calling. I had a family member before texting existed who would drunk call you. At 8 p.m. when this person called, we all knew in our family, do not pick up the phone because that person is drunk as a skunk. They are lit. They are three sheets in the wind. You know what I'm saying? And so you just never answered the phone. Let it go to voicemail. The next day, that person was fine. Why, why would they do that? They'd call and talk about crazy stuff, cuss you out. Why would they do that? Because they were under the influence of something that made them act different. Why would Paul say, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with spirit? He said, he wants you, God wants you to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit to the point it changes what you do. Maybe you spirit text somebody. This sounds weird, but maybe you're like, I was praying for Johnny. Johnny, I just want to tell you, I'm praying for you today specifically. I don't know what's going on, but, but God told me to pray for you. How did you know that? I didn't. It's what the Holy Spirit put on my heart. You start talking differently, acting differently. You become under the influence of something that changes everything you do. Somebody who's drunk, just look at the analogy. The way they walk's different. The way they talk's different. Their priorities. Everything. What if you allowed the Holy Spirit to fill you to the point in your life every day? That word, be filled with the Spirit, is not a one-time thing. It's over and over. That word in the Greek there, be filled, is continually be filled. It's imperfect. Fact check me. Imperfect, not aorist in the Greek. Continually, every day, say, God, I can't do this without you. I'm surrendering these areas. Please fill me with your Spirit because I can't do this without your help. I need you. And the more you do that, watch this the world begins to see Jesus in you. They'll say, I don't know what got in you, but, but you're different. Something's changed. You're changing. Your spouse will look at you and say, I don't know what's different. You say, man, I'm yielding. I'm getting rid of these things in my life. And I'm allowing God every day just to fill me up with His Spirit. Because I can't do this on my own. Right now in your marriage, I'm, I'm speaking to somebody today. I don't know who it is. You are trying and struggling. What you need to do personally is what I've shared with you today. It will radically change your marriage when you say, I'm going to yield. I'm going to get rid of the things that are polluting me. I'm going to be filled with God's Spirit. I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'm going to be in the Word. It will change everything in your life. I'm telling you. You can't change other person, but you can change your environment. And when you change that environment, it will change other people eventually. I'm telling you. As we leave here today, church, realize this week, Monday through Saturday, we're going to wholly surrender ourselves so they can see that He is holy and that He is real. No pressure, but it's up to you because they're looking at your life. Let's pray this morning and ask God to help us. Father, we want to pause and we want to pray that you would help us do this. This is not a token prayer, God. Just praying at the end of a service. But God, we literally ask right now 
We ask that you would help us, God, to be able to live out this holy life, to be that set-apart person you've called us to be so the world can see that you are holy. May your name be holy in all the earth. May we be the ones who show the world that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us. God, let your spirit help us do that because we can't do it on our own. I pray for all those in here right now, God. I spoke about some things, and there was things I didn't even say that they felt, I got to get rid of this. I got to do this. Now's the time. I pray this week, Lord, that you would empower them to do that, that you would help them to do that, Father. As we continue to pray today, church, maybe your decision, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you want to be set apart. You want to be unique in the world. You want to be used by God, but you maybe walked away from your faith and been doing your own thing. The day God drew you back to church, you knew today was the day, your day to come back, and you'd made a decision in your heart that you, you're going to come back to faith in Christ. Or for the first time ever, some of you sitting in here have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You believe in Jesus, you just never made him your Lord. You believe that he's God's son, but you've never surrendered to him, and today is your day. God has you here today just for that purpose because your life will be changed forever. And right now where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer with me and after me. And here it is. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit I can't save myself. But I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again on the third day. I believe that he is your son. Today, God, I turn from my old life. I repent and I turn. And I embrace the new life that you give. Forgive me of all my sins, God. Forgive me of everything I have done against you and others. Today, I receive full forgiveness. I receive full pardon. And thank you for making me a part of your kingdom. Help me to make your name holy in all the earth. In Jesus' good name, I pray. Amen.